0: Debbie Tokawingua. I'm Debbie Clark. Kia ora ku josie tokawingua. I'm Josie Major. Welcome back to the Good Awaits podcast. Today's episode is the first
1: part of another mini series that we are sharing with you and this time on food and food systems and the intersection between food and tourism Uh, we felt it was important to bring you some stories of people in our food systems here in Aotearoa who are really actually working to uh, impact and change the systems the food systems that they're a part of so we think that these uh, episodes are a great example of people Acting locally, but really trying to impact the systems they're part of and add capability to those systems, uh, some of these guests are also involved in tourism, so there's a nice blend and and intersection there between between tourism and local food systems
0: yeah, part of what we're trying to do with this season of the podcast is explore tourism's intersections with other sectors, and I think that food is one of the ones that tourism interacts with the most so it felt important to us to, to spend some time on this and to use this as an example of where tourism could serve and add capability to other sectors as well. We've got three parts in this series and four wonderful guests um, across the three episodes, starting with the wonderful Angela Clifford. Angela is the CEO of Eat New Zealand, an Aotearoa food collective, which spans all aspects of our food system, from production through transformation to food experiences. She's also a New Zealand food waste champion, a coalition determined to halve food waste by 2030 in Aotearoa, recognising the impact that this has on climate change. Angela is part of the leadership group considering a values-based framework for New Zealand food, the Manakai Initiative. And she also co owns the food farm in North Canterbury, which is a regenerative permaculture property where she lives with her family and grows most of her own food, and as well as teaching others how to do the same. We're actually going to be visiting the food farm as a part of our Good Awaits Aotearoa experience uh, on, the, on the trip next year. So hopefully, some of you will be joining us for that and you'll get to meet Angela then. Uh, she's, a, she's a believer in community sufficiency as much as self sufficiency. She's a communicator, community builder, educator and food grower.
1: Angela's so passionate about food and really shifting the system in New Zealand. And so it was such an honor and a privilege to chat with her. Uh, She's full of energy. She's completely inspiring. We started off the interview with me saying it sounds like you're on a mission, a one woman mission to transform the food systems in New Zealand. And I think she really is.
2: I sometimes feel like a one-woman mission it's true um but yeah um i'm coming to you from north canterbury in um, aotearoa new zealand on our food farm which is a small permaculture property where we grow all of our own food and I supply an extended family um And it's autumn here and we're just pulling in the last of the crops, beautiful, sunny sort of weather, Um, lovely light at this time of year as well, quite mellow. Um, And so it's a great place from which to imagine food because it surrounds me constantly and I know quite a bit about growing it and so that always gives you a bit of leverage when you have conversations (laughs) to people about it. Um, And that experience is sort of extrapolated into a national food uh, movement called Eat New Zealand, which I lead. Um, And that's a collective of some of the country's best food producers, chefs, um, tourism operators, event organisers, media. And we've all come together uh, to connect people to our land and ocean here in New Zealand through food. Um, we all have different ways of doing that and different perspectives, uh, but we all are united in this mission and this belief that New Zealand can be the world's premium food destination.
1: So it sounds a bit like systems change. You're, you're looking at um, shifting the systems around food, are you?
2: Well, is yeah. Is part of this mission? It is. Um, definitely shifting the systems around tourism and food as well, um, in that we'd love to see a higher priority given to the opportunity to experience food and and beverage and drink and wine in New Zealand um, more than it is currently a priority in New Zealand tourism uh, but yes, there's on the one hand this idea of celebrating how extraordinary and special um, what we currently have is. And then on the other hand, um, this tension of of having a look at what we have and how that could be better and how we could improve some of those other outcomes beyond sort of visitor experience in the food system. So um, how we can have better access to our food for the purposes of celebrating and sharing it, um, how we can ensure that we have environmental Outcomes that are regenerative for our food system so that um, as we grow and harvest our food, we are um, seeing ourselves as part of a fragile ecosystem for which we can contribute as well as take away from, um, and how we can ensure that our food um, speaks to us on, on a social and cultural level as well. Uh, so yeah, there's always that tension between celebrating what we have and then, um, and then thinking about how, what we can, what we do have and how we get what we have can be made better.
0: I feel like a big part of that, um, we're we're talking a lot about this sort of shifting narratives and, and how we shift narratives around tourism. And I think there's a lot of overlap in what you're talking about with shifting these food stories and I know part of your work is is about New Zealand's food story. Could you talk to us a little bit about about that from your perspective and and what that food story sort of has potential to be?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like many countries around the world, New Zealand is well, was a colony, I guess it's still colonised. Um so what that meant is that there was an original indigenous food story here but when um colonization happened that food story in many ways got buried um papered over didn't didn't become part of our mainstream narrative about our food and our purpose as a colony which was to feed the motherland was became our food story so that sat a, a lot around pasture based so meat and milk and all of those sort of set of ingredients rather than um our original food stories that sat much more in the ocean where south pacific island nation for example um all sat with our birds and our forests and things like that so um yeah, we 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 lost our food story, our original food story in many ways. And for Māori, for the people for whom um, are considered tangata whenua or people of, of this land, um, that was taken away from them as well as from the rest of us. So it's been a journey of understanding and partnership to try to, create a much better version of our food story for us all, one that speaks to all of us, um, to Māori, to Pākehā, who are, um, are non-Māori um, immigrants, but then also to the waves of other immigration that make up New Zealand as well, including Pacifica, really large populations of Pacific peoples in Aotearoa, and um also Asian and other parts of Europe, all around the world, really. So how do we ensure that our food story reflects everybody that calls New Zealand home? That's really important.
1: Mm, that's, yep, that is important. So let's talk about why, why this food story is so important to you and in terms of systems change too, environmental impact as well as social and cultural impact.
2: Yeah, I think people's, People without stories about themselves lose connection to their natural places and they lose connection to each other. They lose connection to their communities. They lose connection to their culture. You know, I think what makes us quite unique as a species is our ability to share our stories. And it is in all senses what culture is. It's a series of collected stories. It's a way of seeing ourselves as people. And so when we lose our stories, when our narratives about our food become ingredients and get placed and driven just by a market economy um, and get taken away, because they do, the majority of our food is exported elsewhere. When we don't have access to our kaimawainu or our seafood, when we don't have access to our crayfish and, you know, those things that our fish in particular. These are stories that we grew up with and shared meals with our families and and determine who we are. For Māori, there's, there's songs and um, waiata or prayers, there's carvings, there's vis- visual rep- representations, there's names, there's um, amazing stories of you know origin stories um there's iconic species that are connected to each iwi or each tribe Mm. you know our food is intrinsic to who we are as a people and you can't build a system that extracts ingredients and sends them somewhere else without there being a detrimental effect And so I suppose that's what Eat New Zealand is about, is helping to find our way back to our stories, no matter what our background is, to connect us again to our land and our ocean. And I think we believe that if we can do that, then there's a great deal of healing that can go on, not just for our environment, but also for us as people. Hopefully.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, I think it's a big part of, um the exploration that we're doing in this regenerative thinking is about connection to place and that that regenerating happens in place and in communities and food is that like you've just said food is such a big part of the way that we connect to place the way that we connect to each other within our communities and i think that's there is so much potential for for healing in that space and i love um I love the way you talk about that I'm curious about, um, you know, we're sort of shaping our conversation on the podcast around the understanding that we're living in this VUCA world, this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world going forward, what that means. And I'm curious about how you think food sovereignty kind of ties into the way that we move forward or sort of ties into our adaptation and resilience as as a nation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a permaculture property here. And part of the permaculture uh, philosophy is that you need to um, encourage and support biodiversity. And by throwing as much of everything as possible into um, an ecosystem, the ecosystem starts to develop and, and look after itself. So it creates lots of little connections and outcomes that are so complex that one species, i.e. the human species, us, really can't be across everything. You know, if you look at something like our understanding around soil, we understand about 0.1% of the ecosystem of our soil is a species wow. currently. So, um, so that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's mind-blowing. Um, and it's... I've got to that point where you do with everything on a journey of understanding, you get to the point where you realise how little you know and how humbling that can be. And I think that's very true for an an ecosystem like a permaculture farm. So what we've found over the years is the more biodiversity we can put into a system, the more it becomes self-sustaining and resilient. And I think if you take that theory and apply it to food communities or communities in general, then the same is true. So the idea is to not control every single little interaction or every transaction or to extract or to be the, you know, dominant species in a system, but rather to hand the ability to feed themselves back to the community. Whether it's a community of insects or a community of soil microbes or a community of plants or a community of animals, it's to hand back control to the community. And I think that's what food sovereignty is. So, food sovereignty is about acknowledging that people need to self determine what ends up on their plate and that things like food banks or Systems that hand out food do nothing in terms of self-determination. So they're not designed, they're designed as a, you know, something at the bottom of a cliff. They're not designed um, to help people self-determine. They're not mana enhancing. It's a really important word mm-hmm. in New Zealand, mana. Um, so they don't build up the mana of the people who are receiving the food. They just make them feel worse. For needing to have, you know, for needing the handout in the first place, so food sovereignty has a lot to do with mana enhancing. Um, and we should all get to decide what's on our plate. You know, for some people, that's really culturally important um, what they have on their plate, what they don't have on their plate. So, and we're all different, so we should all be given the opportunity to have um, a decision-making process in terms of what ends up on our plate. Um, so that for me is why food sovereignty is super important in terms of a food story as well. It has to be diverse. It has to be connected to people, I think.
1: Mm, We're a long way from that right now, aren't we, with the the way that our food systems currently work?
2: When we've got a duopoly of supermarkets who even get to determine what ends up on our shelves, um, we are as, about as far away from that as you could possibly get, which is extraordinary considering the rich and abundant country in which we
0: find yeah. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right.
2: Yeah. I think any visitor that comes here talks about the extraordinary flavour of our food, about the perceived abundance of, of you know, our environment and, and what it presents to us. So it's really wrong that we don't have that opportunity, that our chefs can't put crayfish on a plate, you know? And and I think that's the opportunity for visitors. They can really speak to that. They can make decisions because honestly, it's the one thing that tourists or visitors have to do every single day, right? They have to hopefully more than once a day. So extraordinary number of touchpoint moments in which they can make a decision which will create a better outcome for our food system. I think, you know, I can't speak to that highly enough.
1: So that's a great segue into the intersection, right, between tourism um, and our local food systems or regenerative agriculture. So if, tu- if tourism is to act in a way that's regenerative and is to support local food systems, what would that look like to you? What are the opportunities there?
2: Um, it's just the cool thing about seeking out these solutions is they're the most interesting ways to experience a place anyway, right? Um, I know for me personally, the first thing I ever do when I go somewhere is find a local food market because it just tells me everything I need to know. It tells me so much about the environment, um, the growing, you know, what you're able to grow there, what you're not. It tells me about the people and what, who the farmers are, what they grow, what they look like. I can find a community there. You know, this isn't a community that's been created for me as a tourist. This is the local community that often for visitors can be quite difficult to find. Um, There's a huge amount of social capital in those spaces. So um, just being able to be a people watcher and observe how um, communities connect with each other and what's important to them and what's not important and all of those kind of things. So number one, find your local market and in New Zealand there is a plethora um, of things like farmers markets and food markets Um, so make sure you spend time finding those I think that's super important and then beyond that if food experience is something that you um, really enjoy as part of your traveling seek out restaurants that specialize in using local ingredients or Restaurants that have a real interest in telling the story of the food um, of that place. And also, if you want to take it a step further, create something in your itinerary that looks like visiting a farm that um, grows food or having an experience with a fisher um, who catches wild fish in your environment. So I think it's about studying your itinerary with those moments that will just speak so powerfully um, to the culture, to the food culture, but the overall culture of the place that you're travelling. I think that's the intersection. And by making decisions to visit farms that are using regenerative practices or fishers who are um, using regenerative practices, um, you know, you can literally vote for the food system you want to see um, by making those decisions as a traveller. I think that's huge power and huge importance.
0: What about with the with our food story? What role do you think tourism has to play in in shaping that that bigger picture kind of food story and the way we tell that to international visitors?
2: Oh, I think we're an absolute classic in New Zealand. We don't really value what we have until someone else tells us how good it is, right? Um, and I know that the history of our food system is like that. You know, um, being told by international chefs about the extraordinary flavour of our food, for example, Um It wasn't until people from outside of us told us that that we kind of believed it. Um, But it's the same with the uniqueness of our food story here. So we need people as a culture. It seems that we need people from outside um, to let us know how amazing it is. And in fact, Eat New Zealand was founded by a chef from South America because he was the one that went, hold on a minute, this place is extraordinary. Why am I not hearing about it? Like, why is this not leading the world's food? Why is this, you know, this is crazy. Because he had that experience of being from elsewhere and could see how extraordinary we were. Um, So, yeah, I think it's super important um, that our travellers experience our food and then take those stories home because I think in a way that will help us see our uniqueness ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think we are unique. And I think it's it's what I hear too when I'm on tour with with our guests is they just rave over the flavours and the freshness and they just can't believe how fantastic our food tastes, you know, it's richness, it's depth of flavors. So I hear that a lot from guests. And it's really important to for us to be aware of that and to use that as part of our like you say, that's part of our identity. It's who we are.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're so close to source here. You know, we're this little skinny country in the middle of the ocean. You know, whether whether it's an ingredient from the foothills of the Southern Alps or from a farm down the road or from an oyster farm or from the ocean, you're probably about half an hour's drive from it. You know what I mean? Like it's not Mm. so easy to be close to source here. So we should be celebrating that and making those connections. And we, and we have some really powerful regional food stories too, so uh, it's important that we tell those.
0: I'm just I'm kind of hearing in, in what you're saying that I feel like there's maybe there's potential for tourism as a sector to help us to regenerate those food systems, like you're saying that we we need to do in terms of reconnecting ourselves to that original food story and um regenerating those food communities and maybe tourism has a role to play in in giving back to to those systems in a, in a regenerative sense.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've uh, working on feast matariki. So matariki is our Maori New Year here for which kai or food is a really important part. Um, the idea here is really to create a partnership in terms of celebration around food at this time of year Um, it's the first public holiday uh, that we're celebrating Matariki as a country this year um, in June and so the opportunity is for us to create some space for those stories to be told and then in turn invite other people to pull up a seat at the table and share those stories and that food with us all yeah, I think that's a really good example of how you can, of how our visitors can create and increase importance on those stories.
1: Nice. So if you're a tour operator that's listening, find a local feast Matariki mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. and uh, start getting connected, right, with, with the local foodies in your area, chefs and people who are growing.
2: Absolutely. You know, that's what it's about, it's holding space, particularly for our young Maori chefs winemakers, food producers, um, about having experiences on marae, um, about um, taking stories from those um, places and those people and those techniques and mirroring them in our communities. Um, Yeah, I think that's the way that we share and celebrate without appropriating. That's super important. Mm. 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 That sounds amazing.
1: One more question about... Um, our sector in terms of tour operators. Do you feel there are a lot of tour operators who are creating itineraries already around our food story or around food experiences that you're aware of?
2: It's so interesting because I feel like we were at the, you know, at the point of change just before COVID came along. So Amazingly, I, w- I went to New York and Toronto in the months before COVID to tell our food stories to populations over there, as in New Zealand, set up direct flights from that part of the world, um, and then COVID collapsed everything, and it felt like we've got to a point where um, they could, everyone could see value in our food stories. Um, but interestingly, all that's happened in the interim is that we've been working here anyway to make those stronger, and so I'm really hopeful as we. As we come out of this, that there will be more operators who see value in seeking out our food stories and finding those itineraries that are studded with that, we could start to see it happen, you know. And and I'm sure that that hasn't gone away, and I'm sure that people will be looking for ways to discover our culture through our food. Um, And I guess it's up to us now to ensure that there's product so that there are. Um, that there are places to go and things to see. Um, And I think our small food producers and our small experience providers and our small tourism operators would really, really love for that to be the case, you know, for those operators to seek them out and to find those stories and to value those stories as part of the overall New Zealand story. Nice.
1: And where can they learn more about who's part of that?
2: EatNZ.nz. Yep, yeah. Come and seek us out. Um, we do. We've got um, ability to build itineraries okay. on the website. Um, also, following us on social media as we we've got lots of activations throughout the years and throughout the year in terms of celebrations um, like feast matariki, um, uh, other other ways of celebrating our food as well. We've got a local grain economy that we're working on. Um, So yeah, there's a lot happening. So come and connect with us and engage. um, And we can always help point you in the right direction for sure. That's great.
1: And I follow you, I follow the food farm on Instagram and I'm constantly being um, teased by your delicious (laughs) food (laughs) images that you put up. If you're a foodie, you have to follow, um, follow Angela and the food farm.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, um, I think it's, I I think we would really love to see our food, our farm become more of an experience as well. I think that's in our long-term plan um, to share what we do because we see so much power in teaching people how to grow their own food and having them experience Mm. food that's grown directly, you know, that they've had a part in harvesting or that they can see is just next door to where they're eating. So, yeah, we're thinking a lot about how we can open up to create experience too. So hopefully that'll be part of our future. I hope so.
1: Yeah. I think we need to talk further with you about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a exciting. good travel food
1: experience at the food yeah. farm would be amazing.
2: Yeah. Totally. Eating is something that every traveler has to has to do, you no, know, more than anything else. So just by making conscious decisions in this space, you can have a fundamental and really positive impact on the New Zealand food system and New Zealand food providers and experience providers. So just to reiterate the power, I suppose, that visitors have in terms of changing things for the good. That's gotta be a great thing, right?
1: Love this episode with Angela, and um, you know, really just you know, we've talked so much. I mean, there's a couple of themes that jump out to me, Josie, on this is really around food stories and then the power that tourism has to impact other uh, systems that it interacts with. So, I'd like to talk a little bit about. Food stories, because we've we've talked so much on this podcast about how narratives and stories shape us and shape our understanding of how we live and uh, work and be in the world. And so she speaks so much about finding our way back to our food stories and the real need for us and our Te to reconnect to our food stories.
0: Yeah, it feels like Eat New Zealand really like their their mission is around this this reconnecting with those stories and reconnecting people with their food and, and therefore with their places. And I think that resonates so much with, with the work that uh, we're doing in this regenerative tourism space. There's, there's a lot of crossover in terms of thinking about a regenerative food system and, and the way that connects back into connection to place. Um, and stories are such a, such a crucial part of, of how we interact with our places right i mean she she talked about the sort of loss of our original food story being our indigenous food story and how our sort of modern food story revolves around things like um milk and beef and lamb and that's kind of become a big part of our food story but but traditionally, you know, if you if you go back pre-colonial times, that food story is much more about kaimoana and our, our place uh, kaimoana being seafood, and our place in the South Pacific and the kind of um, yes, yeah, sp- specific food that comes from this place. Um, it's an interesting thing to think about how we've sort of drifted away from from that original food story, perhaps.
1: She really talks about discovering culture through foods as well and through these food stories. And that's one of the first things she does. And I think this is where there's a nice intersection as well with tourism. So one of the first things she does when she visits a place to really deeply understand the culture of this place is through the food. Um, and she talks about the, the, the opportunities there for us with, with tourism for itineraries. Imagine if every, if each itinerary started with a deep food experience, it's an immediate, uh, cultural experience at the same time and how those two are so connected and and can't really be separated.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I totally, I love what she said about going to the local markets. I, I love to travel that way too, of just like that you can learn so much about a place from, from the place's food and, and the way that not just the food itself, but the way that people interact with food and the way that food, um, sort of culture around eating and coming together and and that type of thing it's such a it's such a community building thing uh eating and growing food and um and so place specific so i think that's really beautiful what she was saying about you know if you want to learn about a place you just need to go to the local market and you'll see everything um -hmm. To me, that also speaks to the, the stories as well.
1: I think, right? Like I, I'm thinking about our last episode. We talked with Michael about tourism is really about storytelling. And this is resonating in this episode too. This conversation with Angela, this, this whole theme of our food stories and the, these stories and narratives that shape us and they shape our culture. They shape who we are. And, and there's such an opportunity there too. I think. For tourism to to understand that and support that and celebrate that yeah to celebrate and, and uplift and amplify those stories, right our food stories
0: yeah, I think that's really important. Um, Angela talked about the sort of the power that visitors have in terms of contributing to a food story in a place that they're visiting and, and how you can actually vote with your, you know, to about voting with your dollar, like you can vote with mm. the food that you consume about the type of food system that is going to exist in that place and that visitors have a lot of power uh, in that way. And so if we think about that power and, and then if we sort of zoom out to the sector and think about what is our role as operators or as destinations to support visitors in interacting with our food systems in a way that is regenerative or could be regenerative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a part of a conversation that I've heard elsewhere as well, that, that tourism has such potential to support um, regenerative food systems. And that it's so critical at this point where we are that we do transition to food systems that are regenerative. Um, you know, for for so many different reasons, right? For climate emissions, for carbon emissions, I mean for for equal access. And so there is a role there, I think, for tourism to support the regeneration of those food systems.
0: I mean, not to mention that that tourism is completely reliant on on the food sector, right? Like that is such a big part of of travel and tourism and, yeah. you know, like so many of, of uh, like Angela's, like, you know, something that every traveler has to do is eat, um, hopefully more than once a day sort of thing. Right. And it's, <laughs> so our sector is completely reliant on a healthy food system. And so therefore, if we were to think about, if we want to establish a regenerative visitor economy in Aotearoa, that is reliant on a regenerative food economy and I think this like we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast but just that acknowledgement that tourism can't be regenerative on its own like sometimes Mm. I think we've spoken about the fact that um regenerative tourism could even be an oxymoron or, or it doesn't really make sense as a phrase because one sector one industry can't be regenerative and so I think this, this conversation and this series about food is sort of an acknowledgement of that, that we're actually reliant on other sectors. And in order to be regenerative, we have to figure out what our relationships are with those other sectors and how can we collectively become regenerative. Um, yeah, I think that's a really crucial part of this, of this um, understanding this conversation. Yeah.
1: And it's also what I loved is that she demonstrates a clear understanding of systems thinking. Yes. As well, right? So it's not just thinking about other, other sectors, but it's all of the systems that we're interacting with. So this, she really speaks to the intersectionality, I think, of food systems, food sovereignty and access, cultural identity that's developed through our local foods, um, local resiliency, you know, with, with tourism. Uh, actions tourists voting with with their um, their choices uh, so it's a great example of systems thinking when you think of sort of that that network approach and and just thinking about how tourism can really serve other other systems that it interacts with in this case you know mostly food so
0: it's that reciprocity conversation again, right coming back to what's the what's the reciprocal relationship between the food sector and the tourism sector and how could, how can tourism sort of step into a role where we're acting in a way that is, is reciprocal and that is enhancing our food stories and our regenerative food systems. Um, She talked about like mana enhancing food experiences, right? Like how can we have create food experiences that are um, uplift the, the food producer as well as uplift and inspire the, the visitor and sort of having that kind of relationship. So, um, yeah, I'm quite inspired by that
1: idea. Yeah, me too. Just the recognition of our interconnectedness too. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that, that deep exchange at that point, I think of some of the, the trips that I've run where we've had those experiences sitting, uh, with a winemaker, for example, um, I'm thinking of one experience in particular and, you know, the food experience we had was all locally mm. sourced food, really wonderfully, beautifully cr- created and crafted foods and sampling the wines from the vineyard. Um, and it's just such a real deep experience where you have this cultural uh, experience as well. Um, you know, not not to mention the experience we're going to have on our trip with, Nadine at Kohutapu Lodge, which is completely different yet again, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a deep cultural experience as well, where we'll be helping to create a hangi and um understand, you know, the history of that and what that means and helping to package up food to take out into the community afterwards. The the layers of what that means to them, what their food means to them in terms of their interactions with their community as well.
0: Yeah. I love just like an insight yeah I, I love this um this conversation with Angela because I feel like there's just so much potential in it like there's so you can see how much there is that could grow out of this and that example about you know Nadine and Kohutapu Lodge and and even thinking about some of the, the guests that we've got coming up in, in these next couple of episodes as part of this series, mm. just that the potential that exists at this intersection between food and tourism is, is huge. And I think, um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this topic. So I'm excited that we've got two more episodes and two more harvests to um, continue to kind of unpack this. And um, it would be great to hear from listeners
1: yeah I'd really like to hear from listeners uh about their thoughts of of this intersection between food or uh, or regenerative you know food systems and regenerative tourism because you're right there's so much potential and I think we haven't even begun to scratch the surface mm-hmm. even in Aotearoa where we we you know in some aspects do quite well but there's so much more we can be doing which uh, Angela speaks to really clearly
0: mm. Yeah so so we'll be back in a couple of weeks with, a next, with the next episode of this three-part series. Uh, and over the next two episodes, we're going to hear some examples of, of where this kind of intersection between food and tourism is playing out. So we're going to hear from two um, food producers who also operate as, as tourism operators. So they're, they're very much straddling those, the two sectors and we'll hear from their perspective what that intersection is. And we'll also be speaking to a region in New Zealand about their regional food strategy and, and what that looks like at a, at a local level, um, how tourism is putting food into the way that they think about destination management. So lots of exciting conversations to come. And if you're interested in
1: experiencing uh, some of these amazing guests that we've had on the podcast firsthand, we are running a trip in March 23. Um, it is a multi-day experience over 13 days that is visiting and spending time with many of the past guests that we've had on the podcast. Uh, we would love to have any of our listeners come along and join us on this experience, and you can find out more information about this in the show notes.
0: So we want to Thank Angela once again for joining us on the podcast. Uh, This has been such an inspiring conversation and a wonderful start to our three-part series about food and tourism. Uh, Thank you also to our lovely listeners for tuning in once again. Um, We are very grateful to have you here.
1: And you can find us on any of your regular podcast apps And if you've enjoyed the conversation, we do ask that you please rate and review us because it does help us a lot. We also. Go ahead. Oh, we also want to thank the fabulous Clary Macklin, who is our sound producer. And this podcast is otherwise completely created by ourselves, Josie Major and Debbie Clark.
0: If you'd like to be a part of our growing Good Awaits community. Um, We do have a LinkedIn group where we share ideas and thoughts and we uh, invite listeners to contribute um, to the conversation about regenerative tourism in New Zealand but also around the world. We've got lots of international listeners on there so please join us there if if you so desire. It is called Good Awaits, a regenerative tourism network. So thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Good Awaits. It's great to have you with us on this journey.